0: All right. Hey, go and put your message, uh, message guide notes with Rock Church pen. We'll go ahead and get started. Today, we're on our part three of our series called From This Day Forward. Can you guys say that with me? From this day forward? And what we've been doing is we've been discussing about the concept of, thank you, person up front. (laughs) You guys are all giggling at each other. Uh, But what we've been doing is uh, diving in and discussing about the concept of great marriages. And in fact, that was the first question that we asked ourselves from part one. Uh, If you missed out on any of the parts there, you can go on the Rock NP, check out our website. It's all recorded on there as well as today's message. Um, But that was the question that we asked ourselves. Are great marriages possible? And if you look at the facts, and the research that's available today. Um, The research is actually, the answer to that question is very alarming. For those of you who missed out, let me kind of just give you some depressing facts for you. According to the research, they saw that 50-50 chance, it's a 50-50 chance one in two marriages are successful. One in two marriages are successful. So for those of you who are newly married or think about getting married, the world just says kind of good luck to you. And they kind of let you hassle it out on your own. And really, that research is for Christian marriages and even non-Christian marriages. There's not a difference, sadly. Um, But we talked about kind of that statistic. If if it was a 50-50% of your uh, marriage uh, working out, would we still walk in these relationships the way we do in the world, in the way they teach us? meaning take it for an airplane ride for an example if we get on an airplane i've been saying this every week and the pilot comes on and says we have about 50/50 chance of making it during this flight what are you going to do you're going to get off the plane find a new one right not good odds And so uh, this is the chance that the world says that you have a chance of having a great marriage. But Harvard came out with a study that uh, I believe uh, kind of how God works is God has his principles that have been there from the foundations of the world. And sometimes colleges and science kind of says, oh, yeah, God's right. And then they'll kind of publish it out there on their behalf. But Harvard came out with a study that says that if marriages do a few things right— If they learn some few basic principles and keep to this, your chances of a great marriage is possible. So I would like to say, are great marriages possible? I would like to say, yes, they are possible. Great marriages are, in fact, possible for you. But, but, see what God says on how to have a successful marriage. And I believe wholeheartedly that if you would take these concepts, you're actually way ahead of the game than most people. And so from this day forward is a series that says that even though that all this is happening in relationships, I believe that if you apply God's way and even a few key principles, your marriage can be a successful one. Not only a successful one, but I think more importantly today, a marriage that is loving and life-giving. Loving and life-giving. You can write that down. Life-giving. That's kind of the theme for for today, that if you operate from from this day forward mentality— your marriage can be a great one. You guys remember that in your vows for those of us who are married? If you're not married, if you're single, this still applies to you because you're going to say these vows. I hope you say these vows because there's some very big biblical importance to these. That from this day forward, remember to have and to hold from this day forward, I am yours. Maybe your vows are kind of just a little bit different, but the premise is still the same. That I have known in the past I have messed up. I know in your past you have messed up. But right now from this day forward... We're going to live this life together, which means from everything that happened beforehand, it's gone. And I know that sounds weird because human beings, to forget something, especially something big and profound, it's very counterintuitive than what we want to do. In fact, we like to hold on to the past, don't we? We like to bring past mistakes up. When we have fights in our relationships, we're like, well, don't you remember what you did three, four, five, six, seven years ago? We do that all the time, but the reason we're preaching on this series from this day forward is because I believe without a shadow of a doubt that is how Jesus works in his relationship with us. He works from a this day forward mentality. Don't believe me, read your scripture. Because it says, when you come to me and you repent and you confess your sins, he says he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west, that he casts it into the deepest parts of the ocean, meaning this, that he forgets your past when you bring it to him. And he says, from this day forward, we're going to work ahead. In fact, we've been reading a scripture of lamentations. We don't have it on there for you today, but kind of let me sum it up. It's by, written by the prophet Jeremiah, and he's having a really kind of down and out time of his life. And he, reads this, he writes this lamentation talking about, you know, when I reflect on my past, I get depressed. I get sad. I get worried. I get filled with anxiety. But his tone switches around because then he'd switch it, and he says something along the lines of, but I can still have hope. I can still have hope because my God's faithfulness is great and his mercies are new every single day. Why am I talking about this? It's because in our marriage, people, we need to operate with that same type of mentality. That when we wake up, the mercies are new, that we are faithful in our relationships, and that if we keep to from a this day forward mentality, you can have a great marriage I don't know if you guys have seen the marriages around the culture today, but marriages, they don't reflect a great marriage. Most of them end in destruction. A lot of divorce happens. People get hurt. Collateral damage takes place. And so I want to change that. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, the only way that that will change in the culture is through God's church. When the church figures this out, it'll be contagious. It'll be great. And so I, this is why we're talking about from this day forward. So the first week we talked about that we need to seek God. That that's the first thing that you do. That it's always a great idea to seek God before you're married. And then when you are married, you continue to seek God together. Week two, we talked about how to fight fair. We discussed that when it comes to the times in your marriage when you fight. Because it's not about if you fight, right, couples. It's about when you fight. It happens all the time. And so let's not ignore that. But let's learn how to fight Fair and So we talked about that. We talked about having harmony in your marriage, that whether your marriage rocks left or rocks right in your marriage, when you have that fight, if it comes back to harmony, means it comes back to center, you'll be okay. You need to have that harmony in your marriage, and that's only done through God. But today, we're talking about having fun in your marriage, and we talked about the last couple of weeks, A disclaimer out there. Uh, today's kind of the more spicier sermons, uh, because we're talking about sex today. Woo! Woo! Yeah, you guys, they're like, oh no, oh no. We'll talk about that. It, it, it'll be good, but we're going to talk to dive in. So if you got little kids in the room, I don't see any in the room right now, but take advantage of our Kids Rock ministry. We're going to dive into that. Uh, but next week we're going to talk, we're going to wrap it up with a discussion of the concept of staying pure and not giving up. A really, really great uh, conclusion to the series. So let's talk about having fun. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. They're in your worship guide notes. Um, and we're going to start there with the Premise of what we're going to talk about today. This piece of scripture, because I know a lot of us, like, can we just jump straight to talk about sex? Not yet. We got to kind of build the foundation of this. But it starts in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and it's talking about a choice that you have to make. A choice that you have to make. In fact, as I read this, when you see the word choice, can you do me a favor? Can you just circle it as we read this? Let's read this. It says this in verse 19. It says, Today, I, meaning God, Today I have given you the choice, circle that, between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. We're all on the search for that key, right? That magical key to have a good life gives it to you right there. That this is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord has swore to give in your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's he saying? He's saying that you have life and you can have life abundantly. And keep in mind, this is not just about relationships. This is about everything in your life. That if you want a true life-giving relationship, life-giving life, you need to make a choice. A choice of what? You need to make a choice of living in life or you're going to live in death. That's a choice that you have to make. You have to make a choice of whether I'm going to live in blessing or I'm going to live in curses. And the author even goes as far as saying that he wishes that we would choose life. But to choose life, it's done in a certain way. You can't just choose life and figure out your own steps on what life looks like. There's a certain way. How is it done? It's only done through by loving God. By loving God. He takes it even another step further. He says that if you love and obey God... If you love and obey God, life is way better. For these people, it's talking about living long in a land that God had for them. For us, it shows us that it's possible to have life giving relationships. It's possible, but you have to make the choice. I think a lot of times we're on the defense in our relationships, and if it goes sour, we says, oh, no, that's, that's just the card I've been dealt, and I'm just going to sit in my pity party and just sit here and just cry and pout and say how life is not fair and kind of sit in that muck and just sit in our pity party. I want to encourage you this morning, no matter where your marriage is at, where your relationships, there is a choice that still has to be made. Are you going to approach your marriage with life or are you going to approach your marriage with death? And I know for a fact the couples in the room, you're automatically thinking, oh, well, my spouse needs to do this that my spouse needs to approach our marriage like that. Let me speak to you individually. This is not about what your spouse needs to do. This is about what you need to do. For the singles in the room, for if you're dating or you're engaged or whatever area, take notes on this because you will be ahead of the game if you can apply this from the get-go. So before we talk about how fun, we need to know that there's a bedrock first that makes life-giving relationships possible. So I'm going to kind of go through this rapid fire uh, with us this morning. First one is This in the first blank in your notes, life-giving relationships look to God as the source of their life. Life Life-giving relationships look to God as the source of their life. And this is key because right now, a lot of us we get our life in our relationships from something or someone else. Very rarely do we run to God for the source of life in our relationships. We, we, We run to other people, we run to our coworkers, and in fact. Married people, we may even run to our spouse, and that might seem good from the outside looking in, but let me tell you, you don't even run to your spouse for the life in your life-giving relationships. You have to run to God. You have to run to God, and this is why, because let me tell you this. We don't put the pressure on our spouse to make us happy in our relationships, We don't do that. That's not our job. And I say say this, and I hope you hear me clearly. I was happy before Jill and I met. I was happy before we got married. I still am happy after we have been married. And the key to that is because Jill does not make me happy. Please hear me in this, because I know we, we like to rely on our circumstances, on how our emotions should be. Jill's job is not to make me happy. My job is not to make Jill happy. Where do we get our happiness and our fulfillment? Jesus. And that's so crucial, because if you find your source of life through your spouse or through the person in your relationships... You're essentially putting them on on kind of a, a platform that they cannot meet your expectations. And when they fail, you're going to get hurt. When they fail your expectations of trying to be like God in your marriage, you're going to feel hurt. You're going to feel like you've been crossed. And you're going to feel like your marriage was not as good as you thought it was. So the best way to move around that is run to God first for the source of life in your relationships. The second one is this. uh, Life-giving relationships happen when two servants are in love. Life-giving relationships happen when two servants are in love. And the key word here is servants, that there is no one higher than the other one. Okay, so I know in Scripture it says that the the woman is the weaker vessel and the husband is a stronger vessel. That has nothing to do with the fact that, oh, I'm over my wife. Listen to what King Vaughn has to say. That simply means that Jill can't bench press as much as me. That's what that means. And so keep that in mind when I say this in your marriage. It's about when two servants are in love. What does that look like? That means you're trying to outserve each other. And I'm trying to outserve Jill. Jill's trying to outserve me. I'm trying to outserve Jill. Jill's trying to outserve me. And it's this lovely picture of what a life giving relationship looks like because we're doing our best to honor God and to love each other. And that's key to having a life giving relationship. The third one is this life giving relationships make the choice every day. What choice? The choice that we just talked about am I going to approach my relationship with life today or am I going to approach it with death? Am I going to approach it with, with, with a great attitude and try to do my best to love my husband or my wife or am I just going to come up right away and just start being bitter and negative and just let them know the job that they're not doing that I want them to do? Like we have to know this because this builds the foundation as we go into about having a fun relationship. This is the foundation of having a great relationship. It's the bedrock of having a fun relationship. And as we continue with this, I want us to start with this because we need to know that it takes work to have a great marriage. Great marriage just don't happen accidentally. They don't just naturally happen. It's a choice that the couple has to make. You ask the couples in here that have been married for decades upon decades, they will let you know it's a choice. To make things work and have a great relationship. It doesn't naturally happen. I like to compare it to a fireplace. Anyone have, anyone have like fireplaces at their house? No, it's kind of rare. I know some of us do, some of us don't. But relationships are, are like a fireplace. You know, uh, you have the fireplace. When the fireplace is lit, you get to sit next to it, and it's just warm and cozy, and it's beautiful. And, you know, you can sit there with your wife or your husband, and it's just romantic, and it's cozy and warm. But what happens with that fire? it dies down and there's going to be a time that warm and cozy fire is going to dwindle to nothing but just a few glowing embers and you're going to have to go out in the cold and chop that wood split it carry it in and start that fire again to reignite that spark you see marriage is like a fireplace it's beautiful when it's up and roaring but it takes work to make it that way. It takes work to make it that way. And I know a lot of us are like, I don't have fireplace, I don't have, I mean, I got gas logs and it's all great and so I don't have to worry about that. But the, the, the point is there in itself again is because a lot of times we opt for the easy way out and we wonder why it's not as great as it once was. And so I want to encourage us this morning, it takes work through God to have a great marriage. It takes work to enjoy the fireplace, Just as It takes work to have fun in your marriage. And so now that we know that, let's talk about having fun. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter nine. That's what we're gonna be looking at for a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verse nine. And I just wanna read the first two words of this, and we're gonna kind of stop right there. It says, live happily. Live happily. Let's stop there. This is scripture that God does indeed want you to live happily. Like, not like, God, you need to make me happy all the time, but if you choose life within God, you could be happy. I think a lot of times as Christians, because you can replace that with the word joy. It's actually the same meaning when you break it down. That a lot of times when we approach Christian things or our marriage, We tend to scowl a lot more than smile. We tend to speak a lot more bitterness than speak hope. And so right there he says, live happily, live happily. And he goes on and says, with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. What's he saying? He's saying right there, life sucks. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Life is rough. Life is not going to be fun all the time. Life is not going to be the thing that you think it should be, but at least enjoy it in God's way while you're here. You can at least enjoy it. In fact, he goes on and says that the wife that God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. And that wife just simply means husband and wife. If you're going to live here with someone, you might as well enjoy it. Like you don't need to struggle through it. You don't need to persevere through the entire decades of your marriage, that there's going to be good times, and it's okay to have those good times. There's going to be fun times, and it's okay to have those fun times. But how do we do that? How do we do that? This is where it gets interesting. You see, God made us in three different ways. Here's the three different ways. It's actually, first is our bodies, our physical part. We have our soul part, which is our emotions and our will and our mind. And there's something that's totally unique about us, that in all of his creation, he only gave it to us. And you know what that is? His spirit. His spirit. And that's why this is so important, because this is actually, when it says that God created us in his image, that's what it's talking about, that he actually gave us a spirit, Nothing in this world has a spirit, sorry for your cat lovers and dog lovers, nothing in this world has a spirit except for you. And that's important to know. And I believe in these three areas, God wants us to have fun in this. And please let me know, I'm not up here saying I have fun all the time and I have no bad, like I know everything's in seasons, but it's okay to have fun once in a while. In these three areas. In all three parts, you can have fun, and God intended you to have fun in this. So let's talk about this for a little bit. The first part that you need to have fun with, and we got to start here, is emotionally. You've got to have fun emotionally. And this is typical for women. Please hear me out because don't start throwing stones at me yet. But for most women, this kind of applies to you, and some men, this applies. To you, That before you even get to the physical part of having fun, emotionally, you need to have fun. Your soul needs to have fun. But here's the thing with the emotional thing. We all have an emotional tank, which means that our emotions need to be fed. It needs to be fed. We all have an emotional tank that needs to be filled, because if it's not, we just continue to run on empty. You need to feed your emotional tank. But do you know how you do that? It's through words. It's through words. But the thing with words is that while it can feed your emotions, it can also destroy your emotions. Just as we talked a couple of weeks ago, your words bring life and death. First Peter, I think, says it better than I could ever say it. He says this in verse 8. He says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. Be tender-hearted, Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't retaliate with insults with people who insult you. Instead, pay them back with what? Blessings. With a really harsh letter. No. With a really good argument, then you got all this research to prove that why you are right and your spouse is wrong. No. With what? Repay them with a blessing. Why do we do that? Not because it's just a nice thing to do. Not because that's kind of the good golden rule. This is actually a calling that God himself has told you this is what you need to do. He says this is what God has called you to do and in return for that, remember I love this part because I think a lot of times we think the people that are receiving the blessing is the beneficiary in this but actually in this occasion you are actually receiving the benefit. He will grant you his blessing. Blessing. Husbands, let me talk to you for a little bit. We need to take note of this. Because when it comes to sex, men and women go into that very, very differently. Very, very differently. In fact, we call it a gate. That's kind of the good scientific word for it. It's called a gate. Men and women have different gates that their emotional intimacy flows through. For women, it's called the ear gate. Men, come on, guys. Click that pen and start writing this down. You need to know this. Because women, they have to know. They have to know. Most women, let me say that, most women. I don't want to get a letter in the mail. Most women need to connect emotionally before they connect physically. They need to first connect emotionally before they connect physically physically. Before you even jump into the physical stuff, it's what they hear that's most important. I'm not talking about sweet talking, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having fun with them that where your emotions, you're transparent, and you're vulnerable before them. In our current world today, that's called dating. Go on a date. Like, it's okay to have those feelings and have fun with each other before you jump into the physical stuff. It's okay to speak the words like, I love you, and I'm so glad I'm here with you, and just allowing your emotions to connect. This is the most practical way of doing it. Last week, uh, we asked you to comment on Facebook, on our Facebook page, about fun date ideas or experiences that you had, and I I just want to share a few with you, because we we all do dating differently, but I want to share this with you, and for those of you who are married, uh, dating is still good to have in your marriage, so let me read a few of these. Uh, a gentleman wrote this. says, my favorite dates have always been with my wife, going to a bunch of different restaurants in the Old Market in Omaha and getting one appetizer. Each one was a blast. Good date idea. Those are good. Another one says, favorite date we've had would be us going on a bike route along Lincoln's Haymark District. It was so funny watching us both wobble on the bikes and then complaining about how truly out of shape we are. <laughs> That's a good date idea. These are good. Uh, another one says, uh, on the next date, we really want to go on a teenager date where we go out to dinner and we actually sit next to each other, not across the table, and see a movie with snakes, uh, snacks, with snakes, <laughs> movie with snakes, S- think that's supposed to be snacks, uh, followed by ice cream or a mall, just kind of reliving a teenage date. Here's another one, it says, uh, we went out to a picnic, we went to a park for a picnic, there was a guy playing the bagpipes while there, we just had a fun afternoon listening to him and eating good food. Hopefully he was good at the bagpipes. That would not be good. Uh, here's what I like. It says, after 42 years, my husband and I have started dating again every Saturday night. All week long, I, can just, I can't wait for Saturday to come around. Doesn't matter what we do. It's just great to be looking forward to do whatever we do on date night. You see, dating is not just to go out there and just kind of slough through it. it. It actually feeds your emotional tank. And men, I know we work and we have seasons of life and we come from a really long day's worth of work and women do too, but you need to make a date night, a dating. It doesn't have to be every week. Just go on a date every now and then. Make it a priority. Feed that emotional tank. Because here's the thing with the emotional tank. If you're not feeding it, it will get its feeding from someone or somewhere else. Listen to that. If you're not feeding your spouse's emotional tank, it will feed on something or someone else. So pray that you are the one feeding it. It needs to be fed. Don't starve it. Have that capacity to go on dates and, and have experiences, and it's just, it's just really, really fun. And, and let me speak for a little bit, because I know a lot of us that have kids, I have three little kids, we can make the excuses of, you know, oh, just, you know, my kids are rowdy, and I came from a long day's work, and I have to go through, oh, I got, I've got three kids, and it's just so hard to go out. Let me tell you what my wife and I do. Let me tell you what we do. Because we used to go on really extravagant dates when before we had kids. Now that we have kids, our dates have gotten less extravagant. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Less extravagant. And so uh, this is what we do. Kind of share it out there. Um, we know it's hard to pay for a babysitter. Um, and uh, I would argue that um, the excuse of not spending time with quality, quality time with your spouse, it's not a good excuse with, I can't pay a babysitter. I can't do this stuff. Let me show you what we do. What we do at the end of the evening, about 7.30, our kids are about to fall asleep. And it would be very easy to put the kids in bed, and we just go to bed and start the morning routine all over again. In fact, sometimes that's what we want to do. But we make it a priority that more times than not, when they're about to sleep, we pack our kids up, even on cold nights like last night, put them in the van, and we go out for a drive around North Platte. That's what we do. We go on drives. The reason I did it, because I saw my dad do that with my mom. And I do that now because that's the only time where we can connect emotionally and just talk. Spouses, when's the last time you've just talked with your spouse? Not the to-do list, not finances, just talk. And feed that emotional tank. I share that with you because there's not a good excuse in the world not to go on a date or find that time to feed your emotional tank. Because that's how God created us. That's how he created us. So start having fun emotionally. Then when you do that, you can go to the second part. Guys, write this down, second is to have fun physically. You can have fun physically. And this is for guys along with the women, but with everything in this series, I want to show us that there is the world's way of doing things, and that there's actually a God way of doing things. And this includes the word sex. Actually, God has some very specific standards for having fun in your sex life and talking about sexuality. There's the God standards and then there's the world standards. Everything in the series shows us and points us to that. God made, write this down, God made sex because sex is a gift from God. We believe that here at the Rock Church. If you don't believe it, go see all the kids that we have in the Kids Rock ministry. People (laughs) popping babies like every other month. Good job. Good job. But God made sex to be fulfilling and fun for both partners, for the husband and wife. He made sex to be fulfilling and fun. In fact, here's a piece of scripture to prove it. I love scripture. If you think the Bible's a safe book to read, there's some very risque things in there. But let me read this to you. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. Says this. It says, let your wife. Be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Really quick, this is what we call symbolism. Symbolism. All throughout scripture, the fountain is used to describe the male anatomy. And a well for the female anatomy. So keep that as you read this. Verse 19, he says, She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Some of your versions, I love this word better, says, may you always be intoxicated by her love. Intoxicated. I think a lot of us, we know what that word means, but we assume it with alcohol. You can be intoxicated by your spouse. Like, it's possible to be so in love with your spouse, you're just, you're just drowning in the love with their spouse. And I know that's so cheesy and kind of shooting that out there, but God says that, he says, let, let may you always be intoxicated by her love. And notice that he says some other symbolic things in there. We have the deer, which I think all Nebraska men can like, you know, deer, yeah, guns, like we know that stuff, right? Got a few hanging on my wall. But he uses the deer and it's constantly referred to the area of sexuality and sex, which there's a concept to be learned here, men. Men, we need to be careful About our approach to sex. We need to be careful about our approach to sex because here's this you want to know what great sex is like? Great sex is affirming and it's tender and it's fulfilling. Let me say that one more time because this is not what the world teaches. Great sex is affirming, it's tender and fulfilling for both the husband and the wife. So men, picture with this with me, great hunters in the room, know your approach to the deer. Right? So how do you get out to the tree stand? You sneak your way in there, do what you have to do, and make your shot. What happens, hunters in the room, I'm having a lot of fun with this. I might stay here for a little bit. You can't just go in the meadows and say, here I am. You'll scare all the deer away. And there goes your hunt. And you lost. And you'll have to start again next week. So men, know your approach. Know your approach. You have to know these things. And that is exactly, it's funny, but that's exactly why the Bible uses the concept of deer. That's exactly why he does that. Here's another sub-point for you, guys and women. When it comes to sexuality of your marriage, don't do anything that cheapens it. When it comes to sex in your marriage, don't do anything that cheapens it. When it comes to sexuality of your marriage... Sex is very special between you and your spouse and God. That's it. Say that one more time. When it comes to the sexuality of your marriage, it's a very special thing between you, your spouse, and God. And that's it. And we need to know this because, again, the world teaches a different way to this. But God's standard is between man and woman. And that's it. There's no addition. There's no subtraction. Man, woman, God. In fact, I love it because uh, there's a a scripture that says uh, when a man and a woman come together in the time of sex, it's actually their spirits are intertwining. And that's why single people, listen to this, That is why we preach on saving sex till marriage. It's not because the church is prude. It's not because we think sex is bad. I think sex is great. I love sex. That's probably a little too much for you guys to know. (laughs) But when it comes to saving it till marriage, it's because there's a spiritual concept to it. In fact, another pastor, he says, when a man and a woman come together, they're having church. That's how important it is. It needs to happen. But you save it till marriage. And that is why for teenagers in the room and for single people in the room, when you have sex before you're married and you break up, that's why it feels like your heart is literally being torn. It's your spirit being torn. Because when man and woman come together, they're coming together as one. And it's only between you and your spouse. And that's why we talk about that. That's why you gotta save that and keep it sacred, because it's a very special thing. Here's another sub-point, and this is for the ladies. Like, women have an ear gate that intimacy flows through, the men have an eye gate. It's about what we see. It's about what we see. And I I don't need to go into specifics, but let me just say this. Uh, If men need to work on their approach emotionally, women, you you don't need to work on your approach, you you just need to have an approach. (laughs) Like, guys, we don't really care. Just have an approach. And it's totally fine and it's okay. And if you're wondering why the sparks ain't flying and you're wearing, you know, your great grandmother's wardrobe, pajamas, and this, you know, it's this solar flares couldn't get through that thing, and it's just it's not good. Change your approach. Change your approach. And this is why I'm talking about this, because I, I know I know we've got some different marriages in the room, but this is why I'm talking about this. Have fun with it. When it comes to the area of sexuality, God did not give that gift to us so that it can be stale yeah, that's right. or to be starved. Yes. you got to have that joining of two spirits come together as one. Yes. And that's why it's so important. Let me wrap up this, this little area with just one more little point. The physicalness of marriage is something that is desired and, again, needs to be fed It's not something that should be starved. It needs to be fed, not something that needs to be starved. And let me also add to this. It's something that just needs to be protected. Because the world will try to have you do things, to introduce things. And let me tell you, God created sex to be so great in a way that you don't need to add things to it. You don't need to add other sources to it. In fact, I believe, because we see media and everything is about how to improve your sex life. You don't need to learn how to improve it. God has always has the great ways of having a great sex life already there. But we have listened to the world so much so that pornography is so rampant that we've become desensitized to our spouse. We try to uh, add other elements that are not godly. And we say, if it's not this way, then it's not a great sex life. God created sex to be great, fulfilling, and really important, God-honoring. And I encourage you, because I believe that if the world can grasp this, we don't need to rely on the world's way of doing things. But you have to grasp God's way. So have fun emotionally, have fun physically. And the last one is this one, and I dare say this is probably the most important one of this one, is have fun spiritually. Have fun spiritually. Look at Hebrews 3 1. I love this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those who called to heaven, think carefully about this that Jesus, whom he declared to be God's messengers and the high priest. Couples, listen to this. God designed the two of you to be messengers, to be messengers for his mission. And there's one of the things I think that we miss out on, even Christians, because we have fun emotionally, and we have fun physically, but I think a lot of times we go through marriage and we forget to have fun spiritually because we tend to think our spiritual life should be private from our spouses or it's not important enough. But let me tell you that makes the enemy shakes in his boots no more than anything else in this world is when a marriage comes together and they get on mission for God's purpose. It is one of the most fulfilling things that you can do in your marriage, in your relationships, is when you get on fire for God and you connect spiritually. That's actually why we push, when we join the dream team and serving here, we push for couples to serve together. In fact, Jill and I, we started doing this when we started dating. And we have learned that sometimes it was more fun to serve together than actually sit and listen to the preacher. And that same goes for today. A lot of you, you'll go and serve in Kid Rock together, and you'll have a blast, and you say, that was the best thing that I've done all week. And you love it, not because it, the mission itself. Yes, that's fine, but it's because you did it with your spouse. And when you come together as one and run towards Jesus Christ, nothing can stop you. World, you better watch out. And you wonder what makes an unstoppable force. It's your marriage. You see, we can have fun we can talk about sex. We can do all those things. But the most important thing is the marriage because it is the reflection of Jesus and his church. And if you decide to come together in unity and run after Jesus Christ, nothing can stop you. Seriously, nothing can stop you. I tell my wife, and my wife tells me this all the time, I, like, like, this church can blow up, it can fall apart, we can lose everything in the world, but as long as I know that we're together and we're on the same team, I don't care what happens. And it's not because we're so in love with each other, but it's because God, we're running after God together. You see, it's this beautiful picture of just encouraging each other in the race in this life. And I think we miss out on that. And I want to encourage you that if you're doing great emotionally and physically, even if not, start with this. Have fun spiritually. It's not supposed to be stale or boring. Sign up to be greeters. It's fun. Sign up to be ushers or just go out and serve somewhere together. Join a community group together. But when you do it together and run with with the idea that we want to be united spiritually, nothing can stop you. It takes your marriage to the next level. Don't miss out on that, church. Because if you miss out on that, you're actually missing the big chunk of what your marriage should be about one of the most important things. One of the strongest bonds is when a husband and a wife get on mission for God. And when that clicks in the marriage, man, I can't even just describe it. It's that great. I want to share this scripture it's usually shared with about stewardship and money, but you can actually use it in the context of relationships too. But it's Matthew 6, 21. Most of us know it. It says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Meaning whatever your treasure is, your heart's going to follow it. And I share this with anyone in the room that maybe you're on the give up stage of your life in your marriage. Like you're just pff, done. Or you're just having a really intense part. It's just argument after argument. You don't know what's, what's happening let, let me tell you, if you two would come together and make the marriage the treasure in your life, I will guarantee you, like if you put your energy into it, you put your money into it, you gotta do what you have to do to make, your, to make the marriage God-honoring and make sure it's all in check, I will guarantee you in the next few months, you'll be approaching your marriage way differently than what you have been. Because marriage is a reflection of, Jesus. That's how important it is. So let me end this with the principle that you can apply to all this, and I believe it'll change everything. So this last point in your notes is that this. Choices lead, feelings follow. Choices lead. Remember we talked about the choice beginning of the sermon? That leads feelings follow. Meaning this, make the choice, no matter how hard it is, to have and to nurture your life-giving relationships. If you constantly have your feelings be in control, you'll be following around in circles and in circles and in circles, wondering why nothing is changing. But if you make the choice, because the enemy will try to tell you, follow your emotions, follow what the world tells you, follow what the self-help tells you. But if you make the choice, and say, I'm going to approach this with life, I'm going to approach this with blessings, and not death and not curses, the marriage will change. It will change. I firmly believe that. Life-giving relationships that have fun in this relationship, and all three areas, start with a choice. It starts with a choice, a choice that you have to make. So let's pray. Can you guys bow your head, close your eyes?